Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, it's Mark Flalo on behalf of Mitchell Whitfield and myself. Thank you so much for taking a listen to this podcast. Do us a little favor if you would. If you love the show, give us a five-star review and don't forget to follow us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. We appreciate it and we love doing the show for you guys. Without further ado, here's today's episode. This is Your Tech Report. For gadget news and reviews, click to yourtechreport.com. We are back on Your Tech Report. Thank you guys so much for being along for the ride. Again, if you want to follow along, it is at Your Tech Report on all our social media. Lots of really cool content coming online as well as here on our SiriusXM show. I am Marco Flalo in Montreal, Mitchell Whitfield in Los Angeles. Mitchell, our yes, guest is I am our guest is standing by. So I gave our, I gave our audience a little bit, uh, all of you listening, I told you a little bit before about what we were going to do today and about, you know, how, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of our favorite places uh, no longer exist. And that really stinks. And a lot of it is, you know, people shopping online, which is great. We've been shopping online. A lot of people like myself, <clears throat> excuse me, and Mark, we're ahead of the curve. We've been shopping online forever, but the pandemic really kicked that into high gear. And there are a lot of us that still want to support our local retailers. But there's been a huge, as I said, disconnect. But when people go out, there's this sticker shock, like, oh, my God, shopping in a store is so much more expensive. I want to stay home and shop online. And I don't think people realize how pricing really works. And a lot of stores that you go to, they're not trying to take you. They're not trying to gouge you. It's just a very different business model when you buy something online versus when you buy it in person. And the guests we're bringing on now, first of all, he's a friend of the show. Um, if you don't know Jamie Stegmeyer, said this before, shame on you. Uh, he is one of the great board game desire- designers of our time, a great board game publisher as well through his company, Stonemeyer Games. But uh, I'm, you know what, Jamie, rather than do that, I'm just going to bring you on. Hey, man, hey, man, how you been? Thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, it's great to, it's great to chat with you guys again. Yeah. And I appreciate it because we're doing something a little different this time. Last time, we are, we are going to talk a little bit of board games, but last time was about technology and board games. But for people that don't know, you have a fantastic social media presence, whether it's your Facebook Live videos or your YouTube videos, which talk about many different things, sometimes even lifestyle stuff, which I love. And you did this video, and because there were questioning, I think people were looking at Stonemeyer Games, your company's games, on Amazon versus if they get directly from you versus if they go to a brick-and-mortar retailer. And people were kind of confused as, why is it more expensive here? Why are you selling it for this? Why are they selling it for that? And this question and this model could really apply to more than just Stonemeyer Games, because as a game publisher, you sell games, you you deal with other vendors, you deal with brick and mortar, you have a unique perspective because that model applies to anybody that's selling a product. So let's talk a little bit about when you had people questioning, okay, why does this game cost what it does? Uh, and you went into sort of, you know, you talked about why you price, you know, how much above the cost you price. So tell people a little bit about how pricing works from a creator's point of view. And then when you spread out from there, selling to other retailers. Yeah, a brief version of that is if, and I'll use a game as an example, but I think you're completely right. This applies to any product that is sold in a variety of different ways. Um, maybe the multipliers are slightly different, but uh, for a game that we make, like we have a game called Viticulture. Viticulture costs around $10, uh, $10 to $12, depending on how many we're making. Um, 
to make in in uh, in China, where we make viticulture. Then it costs a few more dollars to freight ship over to our fulfillment centers in the U.S. and, and various locations around the world. We then sell viticulture for sixty dollars as a sixty dollar MSRP. Wow! But distributors in the game industry just by default, get a 60% discount on that. That's kind of the wow. industry standard in the board game industry. So that means for a game that costs us around a, a little over $12 to make and freight ship, a distributor is buying it from us for around $24, okay. which is about, uh, you know, 24 minus 12 is about $12. So that's about enough for us to then make another copy of Viticulture if we want to. And then the last part of the equation is that retailers typically buy from distributors at around a 50% discount of MSRP. So a retailer that's buying that copy um, of Viticulture from a distributor typically spends around $30. Wow. Okay. So you, you have that model in place and people, then people get the game from these retailers. They see, they see an inflated or what they conceive to be a inflated price because they look then at Amazon. Now let's get that Amazon. One of the things I, I enjoyed about the video was that we learned that Amazon plays by different rules. And it's not because, well, it's like, why do they charge $20 for a hamburger at an airport? Because they can't. So why, do, why does Amazon, you know, you're, you're, getting the, you're getting this great reach that Amazon has that almost no other online retailer has. Talk about a little bit about how things work differently with Amazon. It's like, well, if you, yeah, you can sell with us, but maybe it's going to work a little bit differently. Yeah, there are a few different parts of the Amazon equation. Um, and for companies like mine, we don't sell directly to Amazon, but we have a distributor that focuses on Amazon and other big online stores like that. So we sell to this distributor, they sell to Amazon. And Amazon does buy quite a few, you know, well, obviously they buy quite a few of all products and a lot of our games. Amazon, there are two parts of the equation that I really think about with Amazon. One is that they are trying to sell as many units as possible. And so, whereas a local game store might sell I don't know, 10 copies of Viticulture a month. And that might be a good month. Amazon might sell 3,000 copies of Viticulture. Wow. And so Amazon is, they're selling so many more copies. And so the, the margin per copy for them can be much slimmer than a retail store where they really, those, those 10 copies make a big difference. And those 10 copies that a retailer buys might end up sitting on that shelf for two months or three months or four months. And so they just have that inventory sitting there with that cash locked up, whereas Amazon has a ton of cash. And so they can cycle through it as, as quickly as possible. The other part of that equation is Amazon is also a platform for third-party vendors to sell on yes. Amazon as well. And that impacts the price that Amazon is offering. If, if there are vendors that are offering Viticulture uh, for for thirty one dollars somehow, somehow maybe they're doing that. Then that impacts Amazon's equation of how much they will sell viticulture for. So it's kind of this. It's a capitalistic environment, but it's a weird one because Amazon <laughs> controls those prices so much. So with Amazon, yeah. so you know, trying to understand this a bit, trying to wrap my head around it, Amazon might sell it directly. So they buy it from one of your distributors. They might sell it directly, you know, from Amazon. But a third party can still come on and sell that same product and dictate their own price for it. That's right. Yeah, it's all about this buy box on Amazon. So they 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 have their own copies that they're selling, and also uh, third party vendors are selling on Amazon, and it's a fight over that buy box. So when you click buy on Amazon, you aren't necessarily buying it directly from Amazon. You might be buying it from them or a vendor. You have to kind of look at almost in the small print on that buy yep. box to see exactly who you're buying it from. Yeah, I mean, when I yeah. when I shop around, I I tend to 
look for things that are fulfilled by Amazon, not necessarily sold through Amazon, because I know it's going to get here in a, in a particular, you know, it's going to get here when I, I expect it to get here. Because there's so many times, like I tell my wife all the time, make sure it's at least fulfilled by Amazon. It could be a different seller or whatever, but this way you know it's in their warehouse, it's going to get here when it says it's going to get there. I'm still waiting on a bubble-popping phone case from my daughter for four <laughs> months ago, and it's because my, my wife just hit by and didn't really pay attention to where it was coming from. So, but how does that, like, like so who wins in that battle if a third party comes in and says, I'm going to sell this for $5, but Amazon says, okay, well, I'm going to sell it for 4 Like, does Amazon at the end of the day just decide, okay, we're to sell it for a dollar cheaper than them? Or is it really about, I, mean, I don't even know, what is it? What is it about? What decides that? I don't know if I have the answer to that question. That's a great <laughs> <Yeah>. question. Uh, <laughs> uh, I we stumped them. <laughs> it's algorithms, right? It's, it's, all, it's all AI and algorithms, and there's got to be some human yeah. interaction there, too. Somewhere, maybe, but a lot of it is algorithms, yeah. I think. Uh, I think the baffling thing to me is that there are, are other industries where this type of kind of price war isn't even allowed, like with, uh, or, or, and I don't even know the, the legalese behind it, but if you go to like, if you have two gas stations that are across the street from one another, at a certain point, they stop lowering the price. Yeah. They just say, okay, gas is this price today, because otherwise we're just going to keep going down one cent at a time. And just lose so money. There are, yeah. And then, then lose yeah. money. And Amazon can afford to lose money on certain products. So. Yeah. Or maybe a lot of products. So I I don't know entirely what dictates how when when they actually stop. Well, this this brings us to sort of an and by the way, Jamie, and if you just joined us, we are talking with uh, I'd like to say board game designer and publisher extraordinaire, which sounds so fancy, uh, Jamie Stegmar. Um, before we move on to the next thing, I just wanted to say it's important that people hear what you're saying, because I think there's this idea, uh, and the reason that you're on this episode right now talking about this, the average consumer doesn't really know what goes into pricing. They see a price and they react. There's this visceral response to sticker. There just is. And I think it's, and unfortunately, sometimes people will see a price or they'll see the price of a game and goes, why is Stonemeyer Games doing that when I can buy your cycle? No, no, no. It's not Stonemeyer Games doing this because once you said, like you said, once it's in the hands of the distributor, that distributor and that vendor, that retailer, they have their own thing going where, so if the price isn't retailed at a certain point, like why is the retail price so high? It's because because in order to be profitable and sell it through multiple chains of this machine that you talk about, uh, it has to be at that point so it can be lowered for each step of the way. So I think it's kind of important that people know that so their head's in the right place. And I think it's good to keep in mind what you're alluding to there partially is that I don't control what a retailer sells our product for. We can set right. an MSRP. We can set the suggested price of $60 on a copy of Viticulture. Um, but your local game store might sell that for $50. Maybe they'll send it for 60. They might even sell it for more than 60 if, if someone's willing to buy it for more than 60. Um, and we also don't control what Amazon uh, uh, sells it for. So we, we can set that suggested price. And on our web store, like if you're buying directly from Stonemaier Games, we often list that MSRP, but we also might offer a discount on it because our margins are really good there. We don't want to compete with re retailers. We also want retailers to thrive, um, but uh, but we might, but. It's nice to be able to sell our products at a discount if we want to. So what dictates whether or not you you even sell something direct to consumer? Like, isn't there a point where you go to yourself, you know what? We're making good money off this. People, there's a great marketplace out there. Amazon's doing their thing. Our distributors are doing their thing. Is it just for the sake of saying, well, these are all our products. Here's a web store. You might as well, if you want to buy it from us, you know it's from the source. Is it? Is it? What decides whether or not you even do that? The number one reason, in my opinion, that uh, that we do it at Stomar Games, um, I can't speak for other companies, but we do it because I found that consumers 
like to have options. They like to have different options. And every person might like to buy something in a different way. Some people want to buy on Amazon. Some people might want to buy from their local game store. Some people want to buy directly from the publisher. And so there was a time period in the Stonemaier Games lifespan uh, where that wasn't an option. It was a, there was a kind of a year after I stopped using Kickstarter and when I was focusing more on distributors and retailers, I didn't sell anything directly. And I found that a lot of people were coming to me and saying, Jamie, I, I want to buy directly from Stonemaier Games. And so we don't want to force anyone to do that. We like having these other options available, but every consumer is different. We want to be there for the consumer who wants to buy from us. So uh, another reason this becomes important, and this is something we alluded to both in the intro and when we were talking before we went on the air, uh, we want to support our local stores. And that comes into, a lot of this comes down to that. So I don't know, Jamie, if you do this, but I have sort of have this metric in my head where I don't mind paying more at my local store knowing that it's going to help them keep their doors open. Yeah. Um, I'm not talking about Stonemaier because I'm, we're going to talk about Stonemaier Champions, which I'm going to let people know all about if they don't know about that you know, already. We'll talk about that too, which, you know, really is a great way to, to get games at a great price on the Stone White website. So, uh, but there, there's this thing where we want to be at our local store. We don't mind paying more. And I think in my head, it's like, well, if it's like a $60 game or if it's a $50 game, let's say, and it's $10 more at my local, it's like 20% markup. I'm going to do it. I'm going to support my local store. I don't know what the exact equation in my head is, but there's a tipping point where if the local store has it for so much more, I'll be, dude, I really want to support you. Ooh, I don't know. Especially if it's like a big box game, you know, because a lot of our local stores now are selling uh, Kickstarter games, stuff like that. So do you have the same thing where, you know, you want to go into a store and support, and then a party's like, ooh, wow, that's uh, a little more than I thought it would be. I don't know. Do you have that same thing when you go into a store? I do. I, I'll, I'll answer this kind of as a, as a gamer and a yeah, consumer yeah, myself. Of um, I, I shop mostly based on convenience. So we have a great store here in St. Louis called Miniature oh. Market. They have a big store. They're also a big online store. Um, but it is very convenient for me to order from Miniature Market. I don't price compare when I do that, though generally their prices are fairly they're, they're online store prices for the most part. Um, but for me, it's just very convenient. I, I am often in that area of the store. There's a, a crumble cookies right near the miniature. Now market, so we I'll know, there, now get, we know why you're going. Yeah, go ahead. I'll get a, exactly. I'll get a crumble cookie. I'll go to the store and just being able to pick it up there is really, really helpful. Opposed to an online store when I don't know exactly when, when it might arrive. Uh, but that's my personal choice. And I think uh, consumers are, you know, like you said, there's some people that are very price dependent. They need to get that, low, that lowest price. Uh, maybe it's convenience. Maybe it's uh, some other reason. Loyalty programs, you know, lots of different reasons why we should. Yeah, and you know, you're very lucky. I mean, uh, because first of all, St. Louis. I'm realizing between the convention, which we'll talk about too, that you just went to, and I mean, there's so many great companies. Uh, it's such a great gaming community there in St. Louis. And of course, you mentioned Miniature Market, Stonemaier Games based there, Noah Noah Edelman from uh, Game Trays is there. So there's so many, yeah. yeah. Um, but not everybody has the luxury of being in a city that is so supportive and has such a great gaming community. So some of us had to go have to go to smaller game shops that don't have the advantage. And I think it was the other day in your Facebook Live video, you had talked about one of the, you know, somebody had asked, like, how do I open up and, you know, how do I open up my own game store? And like, well, that's a loaded question. I'm not really, you were like, I don't know how to answer that but i will tell you uh having an online component is probably a great thing so you're giving people a different way to shop so and even maybe your prices are different online or I mean, you can lower them a little bit online because you keep them stocked elsewhere uh or maybe you have an order online and pick up in store which adds to the convenience factor that you talked about so there are ways to work around it but i don't know about in you know, a mark i'm sure you've had this, exp this experience as well it's like when i go into a store and we're not talking about games it's any store it could be a local whatever it is my local hardware store which i also try and support instead of like the big box stores, right? And 
when they're not nice or when they're difficult. I'm thinking to myself, dude or dudette, I'm just, the reason I come here is for the experience because I want to support you. I want to be here. Yeah. And what, what do we get here that we don't get online? A human being that we can engage with, have that social experience, maybe learn something about the product that I didn't know otherwise. So when I don't get that, I'm like, oh, you're making it so hard for me to do the right thing. And that that's another thing that I think maybe the shop owners and our local retailers need to know as well is that we're coming to them because we want to support them. And we want to help and we want you know, so to not get back just like, you know, like, hey, just you know, friendly or helpful. It kills me because I'm like, no, now you're going to drive me to online. I don't know if you have that same experience as well. I, yeah, I've definitely had that. And I, I, I sometimes I, I struggle with the idea of supporting a business just for the sake of supporting it. But when a business is doing like you like you said, if they're giving that human element, if they're offering things that I can't get online and just the fact, like in my neighborhood, a number of restaurants closed down due, uh, due to the mm -hmm. pandemic. And I look out the window and see a vacant building. And that isn't good for the neighborhood, just have a vacant building sitting there. I would much rather have that business um, thriving. I think that's good for the, the, the local element of, of any uh, brick and mortar business. And so that's when I think about that, that's when I'm reminded that supporting local businesses are, are good for the local infrastructure, the, the local uh, uh, you know, consumer market. Um, and so I, I, I try to remind myself of that when I, when I look at shopping local, but at the same time, I think they, those businesses are also supporting me. If, if they're, if they stop looking to the consumer, if they stop being consumer facing, then that becomes a little bit more difficult to support them. You know, those, that empty building has given me some great ideas and having these glorious visions of a Stonemeyer cafe. We should talk later. <laughs> uh, not that, you know what? I'm I was joking, but I said out loud the idea of a Stonemeyer cafe. Holy cow. Would I love that. Um, so, <laughs> Let's switch gears a little bit because we're talking about gaming. We're talking a little about the pandemic and how that's changed retail, not just the gaming industry, but the retail industry. Let's put them together because during the pandemic, you have a, you have an, you know, to, to give you an idea of what a great guy Jamie is, folks, and Jamie, if you're going to blush, that's totally okay. Uh, he's one of the nicer guys that you will meet virtually or otherwise in his industry or in any industry. A genuinely good person. And when we told him about coming on the show, I was like, hey, I wanted to talk about your new game as well. He's like, no, we don't have to do that. We could just talk about what you want to talk about. I'm like, dude, no. Weird times. Like, what's the point of having one of your favorite game designers if you can't talk about and pimp his games? Come on. So, but he was so nice. He didn't ask to do this. This is something I wanted to do because you created a game during the pandemic that was originally designed to just be like a print and play sort of thing that people could play virtually because you couldn't get with your gaming group in person. So, tell us a little bit about Rolling Realms, how it came to be. And uh, if you hear a doorbell ring, I'll give you a hint. It could be Rolling Realms. So, talk a little bit about Rolling Realms. His doorbell or yours, Mitchell? Uh, mine. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm sure he has his copy. Believe me. I, I, he has multiple dice of different iterations like of dice that I'm drooling yeah. up. There he goes. So talk a little bit about uh, Rolling Realms and how it came to be. I appreciate I appreciate everything that you said there. And the setup is great. It, it, like you like you said, early on in the pandemic, I basically spent a Saturday designing a game because I wanted to connect with people who were maybe, like me, separated from their gaming groups for a little while and maybe wanting to, to play a game. And so I designed this infinitely scaling game, a game that any number of people could play as long as they can see two dice that someone is rolling. Um, and at the time, it was a single piece of paper that you printed out. And it ended up being a, a lot more fun than I thought. Like it was uh, just a little experiment, just something to do over the weekend. And then it... Uh, I did it again. I played it again online, played it again, played it a number, maybe 10, 12 times online. And by the end of it, I was getting all this feedback from people who were playing along with me. Hundreds of people were playing live with me. And I decided, okay, I'll go ahead and print it. And this actually ties back to our topic a little bit today, because one major focus of Rolling Realms is that I wanted to keep the price low because I thought that would be a better way to support retailers. During the pandemic, we've seen freight shipping prices go up. We've seen manufacturing prices go up. I've seen game prices 
jump really big. And so selling a $20 game in the middle of the pandemic is relatively unheard of. There are not many companies that are coming out with $20 games right now. And I thought that's a great way that I can support local retailers. Why would someone, less people are going to buy this game online for me because they have to pay for shipping than picking it up from their local game store. And so I hope that is the case. I hope this is a, a game that can be good for local retailers. Oh, I'm very, I can't wait. For people that don't know, Rolling Right Games are, well, this is this is a segment of or a sector of games that have been coming out. I think we're seeing more and more Rolling Rights in the last few years. But it's, to me, the accessibility factor versus the depth that you can have with it, the experience you can have with it. It's so much fun. And, and when you're introducing people to a game, the last thing you want to do, like forget about analysis paralysis, just, you know, people that, that glazed overlook when you're doing rule explanations or, okay, how does this work? And you're sitting there for, you know, you're the first hour of your game explaining to everyone how to play. By that time, they're either frightened or exhausted with rolling right games. And it, they are exactly what they sound like. You're rolling dice and writing something down on your individual pad of paper, either with a little pen or the included dry erase markers that you guys put in there. I was very fascinated, by the way, because you also, Jamie also shares his design diaries, both in blog form and in video form. And I was very excited to see the different iterations of dice. And you you, you put some big, chunky acrylic dice in here, but there was a point where they were not acrylic, where they were even bigger. And that's sort of like, I, I see these dice and I think that's the first thing. And I was like, oh my God, I must have this. A fact from the, you know, aside from the fact that I love Roland Rights and it was your company. I was like, I got to have that. It's got giant dice. So it looks like you had a fun time like designing these dice as well. I did, yeah. As you alluded to there, originally they, I tried to put as like the the dice were the the height of the box. They were like 40, 50 millimeter dice. They're huge. Um, and they were. I ended up going down to around I think twenty five uh, uh, millimeters, which is still big uh, for people no, that don't. It's still like like twice the size oh, yeah. of a normal die. I mean, look at those are yeah, huge. Yeah, they're giant dice. <laughs> <laughs> but the original ones felt like they were like denting the table as you roll on them. But I didn't want. I didn't want that. Yeah. Well, I, I love that, and it makes me happy to know that number one during a pandemic, which was very hard in a lot of people, that you were thinking about bringing the community together. And uh, that's why, you know, one of the things I want to let people know, first of all, you know, when you are, when you are buying from Stonemaier Games directly, and this is another game, you're, you're not only, you know, getting a great game, but you're also supporting the company, supporting a great company, and they, so they could bring you more and more games. And the fact that you, like you said, Jamie, you have an online presence, and that's what I choose to use for all my Stonemaier games. I'll always come to, uh, to you guys, to the website. And this is where I get to plug becoming a Stonemaier champion, because not only do you get an incredible discount on both the games that you buy and the shipping, but you're also supporting the company and a lot of the stuff that you do in social media. And lastly, I wanted to talk to you because your videos that I've been watching, they really transcend. You know what? I don't want to say they become like some of them become lifestyle videos, but you met this great mix of lifestyle video where you bring people in by talking about your life, by talking about your love of disc golf and, you know, sweet treats that you, you know, the chocolate of the day and all that stuff. And I think it really, it sort of humanizes not just you, but the company as well. Not that's why you do it, but I think it lets people sort of bond with you a little bit more in those videos. Again, everything you do is being supported when you do when you become a Stonemaier champion and just watching the videos. So I want to encourage people to do that, Jamie. He did not ask for that, but I wanted to. <laughs> do you find that you get a lot more you get a lot more feedback now about your videos that have nothing to do with gaming or people want to talk about your outdoor lifestyle or food or stuff like that? Are you getting a lot more feedback about that stuff now? I do, especially with the Facebook Live videos that I put up. I do those on Facebook Live on the Stone Games Facebook page, but then I put that on my YouTube afterwards, and a lot, a lot more people end up watching them on YouTube. And it is, it's really neat to see the conversations that come out of that. People recommend all sorts of things to me. You know, they recommend food and and 
uh, drinks and movies and, and TV shows and, and books. I get, I, I get a lot of information. I learn a lot about the people that are watching the videos and I think they learn a little bit about me. Oh, no, it's great. And uh, I, I have to say more than anything, I appreciate you coming on. I know this was, that was, this was not, you know, your typical game chat, but I, the reason I wanted to do this was because we could talk about games with you, of course, but like I said, that model, your model having, you know, you are in this unique position of having your own business that does set prices for, for both yourself, your own company and for other retailers and distributors. So you have a really unique perspective. I appreciate you coming on to talk about something a little bit different that we'd usually talk about, but I promise next time we bring you on, it's going to be more games because I'm so tempted. And one of the things that you know, if you watch Jamie's videos, he is so accessible, talks about anything. But when he says, "I'm not," gonna, we're not going to, no spoilers, he means it. So I'm not going to ask you about whatever it is you're designing that's a cooperative game set in a slightly open world. I'm not going to ask you about that, but I, I do hope that when you're ready to talk about it, you will come on the show and we can spread the word to millions of listeners on SiriusXM. That would be awesome. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Oh, please. Jamie Stegmark from Stonemaier Games, thank you so much. And uh, we look forward to having you back. You've been tuned in to Your Tech Report. Be sure to follow Your Tech Report online. Email us, contact at yourtechreport.com. Follow us on Twitter at Your Tech Report. Like us on facebook.com slash yourtechreport. For the latest in breaking tech news and reviews, yourtechreport.com. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.